Well, my prayer is that's all of our prayers, that we would ask the Word of God to speak to us. Um, first, some of you, uh, we've, we've, the, the, uh, it's been mentioned twice, this phrase, bring the book. And uh, we were in First Timothy, used the passage in Nehemiah where the people beg, I love this, they beg them to bring the book. And if you keep reading in Nehemiah, they like preach all day. Amen. I didn't get, I only got laughs, no amens, all right, so okay, I better make this short. Um, uh, well, we're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, my name is Brian McKenzie, have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here at Grace, uh, Grace at the Potter's House. Um, I, Grace was our church in Texas a long time ago, it's been a long week, my wife's been gone for four days, so I'm just, we're barely here, the kids survived, all right, but, um, uh, but uh, serve as one of the elders here at the Potter's House, and uh, and have the privilege to be able to teach a couple times a month as well. So um, we're glad you're here and would ask you if you have a copy of God's Word uh, to pull that out and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. Um, and I'm, while you're turning there, I want to make mention of this too. Um, on Resurrection Sunday morning, some people call it Easter, I call it Resurrection Sunday morning. It's Resurrection Day, uh, so we don't get confused what it's about. Uh, we're going to be having baptisms too, and we've already got a, a, a pretty good group of people lined up. I want to encourage you, if you've never followed the Lord in baptism, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've never been baptized, well, he calls us to be baptized. In fact, he commands us to be baptized. The number one reason we should be baptized is because Jesus said to be baptized. That's enough for me. But there's more than that. If you want to talk about that, we'd love to talk to you about that. But we, we're hoping we're going to have a, an extended time of baptism. I think we already have six or seven people lined up for baptisms on Resurrection Day. Uh, so um, if that's something you'd like to do, please let us know. Well, hopefully you're uh, now in 2 Timothy, and we're continuing our study in Paul's letters uh, to Timothy. This is the second letter of Timothy, 2 Second uh, Timothy. And the series is entitled Be Strong in Grace, and this is part 46. Um, and we'll be examining verses 11 and 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, and the uh, title of the sermon this morning is, I Know. I Know, dot, 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 if you see that up there. And I want to do something a little bit different. We normally, later on in, in the message, we'll read the passage of Scripture together, but I, I'd like for us to do that up front, to be reminded that this is the time that we are looking in God's Word, and we're asking Him to speak to us. So I want us to stand together and read our passage together uh, that we're going to be examining here in a few minutes together. So if you would, I'll read this along with me. 2 Timothy 1, verses 11 through 12. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we uh, examine verses 11 and 12 this morning, let's do a little bit of review to get us in context so we just continue with the flow of the passage here in chapter 1. Last week, Jay took uh, us through verses 9 and 10 and did a tremendous job of setting this up. Uh, if you were here or listened to um, the message online or saw it on YouTube, like I did last week, we were traveling, so we listened to it on our way back from Arkansas, Hot Springs, Arkansas, our family, and, or at least I did it in my headphones, I think they were all sleeping, but uh, um, I know you'd agree with me, it did a tremendous job of setting up that passage and teaching those verses there, and, and uh, it was a thorough biblical explanation of the main point from verses 9 and 10 of, of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I, I'll just be honest with you, I wrestled this week um, 
with how to summarize what Jay taught last week. There was a lot there, wasn't there? A lot of really good stuff. And I really wrestled, how am I going to summarize all that and still have time to preach? Uh, the, ne- the next two verses, right? Um, so I'm going to do my best to give you a condensed review of what DJ taught last week for the purpose of, again, for us, we do this, we review so we're in context. Uh, just to throw this out here, this happens, you guys know I do this every once in a while, I go off notes, so for, don't, for, uh, don't forgive me, but just listen, please. All right. Um, that uh, it's so important to get God's word in context. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, sweet. I can pick this building up then, can I? Is that what it says? No. This verse taken out of context. That's talking about I can be content in any circumstances. I can, be, I can do all things, meaning the all things of not having anything or having a lot. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, gives me the contentment to be where he wants me to be. That's what that verse is talking about. Don't get me started on some other verses that are favorites of Christians. It's probably on the back of some of your cars uh, or someplace. That, that We've we got to be careful. We want to make sure we're in context. So we do this. We review just to remind us why we review. So we're in context. I won't pick on anybody else's favorite verse this morning, okay, unless this might be your favorite verse, so hopefully so. Um, but, uh, but just to get some context. So last week, Jay began, uh, and he illustrated some of the major emphasis of, of, the, ver- of the verses um, of 2 Timothy uh, 1, 9, and 10 by taking us to the book of Acts in, ver- in, in chapters 3 and 4. There we saw Peter and John uh, healed a lame man, and then they preached the gospel, and many people believed. They had seen the miracle. They heard the message. They believed, and the Jewish leaders did not like that at all. They threw him in prison. They ended up eventually letting him go, but Jay pointed out the main point of that was that they were forced to make a decision. People were forced to decide. Would they continue to follow the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders who were telling them you must keep the law to be made right with God, or were they listen to the true message that John and Peter brought of being saved or being made right with God by grace through faith? They, they had a choice to make. Jesus did the same thing. He, he pointed out over and over and over again that you have to make a choice. And in his dealings with people of his day, many of them, them religious leaders, he forced them to decide you're either going to approach God by trying to keep the law, or you got to choose to approach God by trusting in Jesus the Messiah alone. There's no mixing them either. It's not a, it's a, not a both and. It's an either or. And Jesus, all the time throughout the gospels, forced people to make a decision. Um, Jay also pointed out that Jesus pointed out to people that the whole Old Testament was about Jesus. The whole Old Testament, the whole book, right? Bring the book. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. He's the main character in the entire Bible. Now, some people d- d- don't always see that, but that's what it's about. And Jesus said that, hey, you search the scriptures to find life, and the scriptures teach of me. But they were trying to keep the law to be made right with God. And, they, and, and Jesus said that I, the, the scriptures talked about me, so when I showed up, you would notice it was me. Did anybody remember the, the Alfred Hitchcock um, show? Anybody remember that? About four of us, Okay. All right, there used to be, uh, and this, I thought, it, there's, I, thought I, I must be one of the older people in here then, right? And maybe I just watched this with my dad, all right? And, and you would have this, this, uh, this, this silhouette in the dark of Alfred Hitchcock, and he had a pretty pronounced look, you know, face, just a this silhouette of his head, big nose and round head and like that. And, and it would be dark, and all of a sudden you see this guy come in the back, and he would stand in that silhouette, and the light would come on. It was Alfred Hitchcock, and you knew it was going to be Alfred Hitchcock because you've seen the silhouette, only he has a silhouette like that. No one else could fit his head in there, right? 
I mean, and that's what the Old Testament was. It was a shadow. It was to point out, it was so clear that when Jesus came on the scene, we wouldn't miss him. But many people did. Many people did. And many people are still missing him. See, life, forgiveness, and justification have always been by grace through faith in Jesus. Always. There's never been another way to be made right with God. And Jay was emphasizing it over and over again. Jay reminded us, even from Genesis 3, right? We have sin comes into the world, and Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve fell. And when they sinned, what did they try to do? They would try to cover their sin by taking leaves and sewing them together to cover their nakedness, okay? In a sense, we're trying to, 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 to make things right with God in their own effort. And we saw that was insufficient because what does God do at the, near the end of Genesis 3? He has to kill two innocent animals, clothe them in something that would be sufficient to cover their sin. And that's a pattern that's all throughout the scripture. We, we have this pattern that Jay reminds us of God requires something of us. We make our best effort, and our best effort's not even close to being sufficient. And then God provides a substitute to suffer the penalty that we deserve. And in so doing, God meets our need that we could never meet. That's the pattern from Genesis 3 all the way through scripture. That is the gospel. There's never been another way to be made right with God. Hey, it's always, listen real closely, it's always been Christianity. What? Christianity. It's always been about Christ, and in Genesis 3, he's introduced. It's always been about Christ. Well, Jay reminded us that that, 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 that that pattern goes on and on. It's always been of grace, and we accept that grace through faith. And, and the primary purpose of the law It's not what we keep to go to heaven. Some people will give that answer. That's what we keep to go to heaven. Have you tried? We're all in trouble then, aren't we? We can't even keep the top 10, let alone the 613 that are involved in Mosaic law. It's it's to show us our sin and need for a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Go ahead and write this down. Romans 3.20, Romans 5.20, Galatians 3.24. They all tell us directly that's what the purpose of the law was to show us our sin and need for a savior so if you're trying to earn god's favor by keeping the law let me give you some sound advice okay now listen real close because this 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 would be one of those words that are really hard to understand stop stop trying to make yourself right with god by keeping the law stop it that seems kind of hard i'm just i'm being honest stop it you'll never do it you're wasting your time and it's not how we're made right with God. Well, Jay then took us to verses 9 and 10 of, our, of 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll pull these up here again, and let me read them again. He said, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We clearly see in these verses that salvation is by grace. It was all accomplished by God the Son, Jesus, through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection that paid a penalty for our sin to give us life. This is good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? It's great news. That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. Paul stresses it's always been by grace through faith. Look at that phrase, by, by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Look at that phrase there. It says, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from when? Yesterday? Or when Jesus was born? 
When does it say? From when? All, help me, eternity. Say eternity. Eternity. Hey, let's make clear. There's no plan B. There's no plan B. God has a plan A, and that plan is still in action right now from all eternity. God didn't say, well, you know, I kind of gave them a chance, and they messed up, so what am I going to do now? I better come up with plan B. You know what? He's probably on, if that's the way it works, he's probably on like plan Z a hundred times over. If he was looking at us and say, well, man, what am I going to do? They did this, and now I'm going to have to change my plan again. But that's the way people talk about God sometimes. Hey, there's no plan B at all. It's from all eternity in Christ Jesus. This is in the heart of God from all eternity. I'm so thankful for that because of that not we're all in trouble if there's a plan B. I want to make something, just, just stress something that Jay stressed last week again. Many people try to pit the God of the Old Testament against the God of the New Testament. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Maybe you've even thought that. Well, newsflash, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. He's the same God for all eternity, from ever and ever and ever. Exact same God. He displays all the same attributes in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament, and vice versa. He has one plan. And the Bible presents this same God from cover to cover um, that he has the same sovereign plan to redeem or rescue a multitude, a multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. That's always been his plan. He's the same God, and, and he's going to be the same God forever and ever and ever. That's good news, that God doesn't change because he looks at us, and we change all the time, right? He's not intimidated by that. So as we get ready to look at these next two verses, I want to help us just get the main point of verses 9 and 10 again when it comes to securing the salvation of sinful men and women. Listen to this. God did it all. When it comes to securing the salvation of sinful men and women, which is all of us and everybody who's ever lived, all right, God did it all. He didn't need our help. If he needed our help, we're in trouble. Because our help will never be good enough. He did it all. The only thing we contribute to our salvation, listen very closely, is our sin. That's what we contributed to our salvation, is our sin. That's it. We received his gift by faith. But even faith's a gift, we read throughout the New Testament. We can't take any credit at all. None at all. It's all of him. It's by his grace giving us his son. He secured our salvation in Jesus. That's the gospel, and that's good news this morning. Well, with that review, to help us get in the right context here, let's now turn our attention to our passage again. And I'm going to go ahead and just read this again for us as we jump in here. For For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And before we look at those uh, two verses in more depth, I, I, I want to remind us of something very important. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him to hang in there. If you read chapter 1, you're like, man, poor Timothy. He's struggling, and he is struggling. He, he's hurting. He's discouraged. He's disappointed. And specifically, he, he's encouraging him not to be ashamed of the gospel 
or of Paul, who's now in prison because of the gospel. He, he, he's trying to encourage him about, just don't, don't be ashamed. The idea of not being ashamed runs through chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to look at that. If you have your phone, look at that. Look at verse 8. Look what it says. Uh, he first encourages him, verse 8, with a personal exhortation to Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or uh, of me, his prisoner. Then in verse 12, Paul, which we'll see this, this morning, Paul presents himself as an example with these words, I am not ashamed. And then finally in verse 16, Paul presents a man that they both know named Onesiphorus as an example, and he says of him, he was not ashamed. So he begins with, do not be ashamed. I am not ashamed. He was not ashamed. See that? It, 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 it ties, it goes from beginning to the end to the middle. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Why, why are you being ashamed? He, he wants to address him so he won't be ashamed. It's easy to see this as the emphasis of chapter 1. So what is it that would keep Timothy from being ashamed of the gospel and of Paul who's in prison because of the gospel? What reasons can Paul give to Timothy to not be ashamed? Well, he's already done it. Some in our verses that we've already covered, things like God has given Timothy a sincere, a genuine faith in the gospel. We saw that earlier. God has given the power to suffer for the gospel, and God has given the gospel message that brings life. All those things are reasons not to be ashamed, aren't they? Timothy, you've got a sincere faith. You've got a genuine faith. Don't be ashamed. Timothy, God's given us the power to suffer for the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Timothy, God has given us a message of the gospel that brings life to people. Don't be ashamed. And Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going, giving reason after reason and encouragement after encouragement. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Well, that brings us to our verses for today. And uh, Paul was essentially saying to Timothy, and, and he given himself as an example, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he's going to say here in these verses in a sense. Follow me as I follow Christ, Timothy. And before we dive in these two verses, consider how, uh, how much difference truly knowing something makes. Think about this. Think about when you go into a test. Right? You go into a test, all of us have either are experiencing tests in school right now or have experienced tests in school. Think about when you go on that test, and man, you know your stuff. You walk in class like sitting down and give me that test right now, teacher. You can't wait to get it. You're so confident, right, because you know your stuff. But how do you walk in to the test when you're not prepared? Well, a lot of times you call in sick. That's what you do. <laughs> i got a stomachache. I can't make it today. And you don't come sliding. I mean, you're like, oh, man, I hope maybe the teacher forgot, forgets to give us the test. There's no confidence because you don't know your stuff. Or when you're driving in your hometown as opposed to driving in a foreign country, which I've done. I'm telling you right now, I have a lot more confidence in driving in my hometown because I know my hometown. Then I do drive in a foreign country where they drive on the wrong side. Sometimes they drive on every side, if you've ever been to Africa, or even in Russia, they drive on every side. They're not supposed to, but they do. They drive on it, especially you're down. I mean, yeah, I'm a lot more confident because I know the United States. I know where I'm from, and I'm a lot more confident driving because I know. Or the difference in your confidence when you first start a job. Maybe you just started a job, and you've got to learn all these new things, and you go to work every day, and you're, just, you're not confident. And difference between that and working the same job for five or ten years. And now you're confident, right? Because you know what you're doing. You know some things, so you walk in and you're confident. 
Well, this is what Paul is doing with Timothy in our passage this morning. He's showing Timothy that confidence and courage come from knowing certain things. You can have confidence and courage because you know certain things, Timothy. Well, as we examine 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, the Lord through Paul will give us two reasons or two more reasons why Paul is not ashamed as a way to encourage us and to encourage Timothy not to be ashamed. Here, if you're an outliner, or if you're a note taker, here's the two big points today. I know my calling, and I know him. I know my calling, and I know him. Well, look at verses 11 uh, through 12a with me. Uh, uh, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Here Paul gives his first reason not to be ashamed. I know my calling. Paul says the first reason he is not ashamed is that I'm not ashamed because I know, I know what I've been called to. I know my calling. What was his calling? Well, to help us understand he, uh, his calling, look at, for, at the first two words in verse 11. He says, for which, for which. This points back to verses 9 and 10 and the gospel of grace that was given from all eternity. For which, this is where my calling comes in, for which. The gospel was the subject or the purpose of his calling. Notice now that the phrase, I was appointed. He says, I was appointed. It was God's idea, not Paul's. It was God's idea. It was God's call on his life, not Paul's. Paul didn't seek God. Paul didn't seek the gospel. He didn't seek to, to have this position or this calling. Instead, God, God sought Paul out and appointed him, and Paul was on the road to Damascus to do what? Persecute Christians. God even said the following about Paul to Ananias, uh, who was, if you remember the story in Acts 9, that get, when his conversion, and, and um, he says, hey, I want you to go see this guy Ananias. He also tells Ananias, I got Paul's coming to see, and Ananias was not excited about that because he knew who Paul was. Right? But he, he comes and God says this to Ananias um, about Paul. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Listen to this. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Who, who chose Paul for this task that he's given him? Not Paul. Paul did not volunteer for this. God chose him for the task that he had called him to. It was God's idea. He was appointed by God to do something with the gospel, all right? Well, what was Paul called by God to do with the gospel? Thankfully, he tells us in the remainder of verse 11, notice the first thing he says concerning his calling with the gospel, that he was a preacher. Now, all of you just went, okay, he's not talking about me. Yes, yeah, in a sense he is. So here's what a preacher is. He's sent by a king as a herald, an ambassador, to hear the herald or the preacher, to hear his message from the king was as if you heard the king himself. The herald was both under authority and given authority. And the preacher is one who heralds the good news about Jesus. He proclaims it. They were sent by God with an authoritative message of the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. That's what a preacher is. That's what a herald is. And we all, in some sense, are heralds of the gospel, aren't we? We're proclaimers that God sent Jesus to save sinners. So the first aspect of Paul's call was he was a preacher or herald of the gospel. Now notice the next word, apostle. 
This was the second aspect of Paul's calling. He was an apostle, and it means to be sent by another with authority by the one who sent him. Right? And, and, and now, Paul was part of a, a pretty select group. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also apostles of the church in the New Testament, but there's only a, 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 a short handful. There's only 13, all right, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, 13 apostles of Jesus Christ, and one of them was a traitor. So only 12 left, all right, and he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, and his, he was sent with a, a special calling, and an apostle, listen, is focused more on the mission to accomplish, whereas a preacher is focused on the message to be given. Let me say that again. apostle is focused on the mission to be accomplished, where a preacher is focused more on the message to be given. Paul's mission was to establish churches, groups of people who had embraced by faith Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was part of his call as an apostle. He was a church planner in a sense. Right? So he was an apostle. Notice next that the word teacher, this was the third aspect of Paul's calling. A teacher is one who explains. So a teacher focuses on the explanation of the message where a preacher focuses on the proclamation of the message. See, a teacher explains. God called Paul to preach the gospel, to explain the gospel's impact on the lives of people. And an apostle, remember, is to establish churches. A preacher is to proclaim the message, and a teacher is called to explain the message. Now, now notice um, uh, verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things. This phrase, for this reason, points back to his calling. As a preacher, as an apostle, and as a teacher, he suffers. That's why he's suffering, because he's fulfilling his call. He's not being ashamed. This is so important. He's not being ashamed, and by not being ashamed, he's sticking his neck on the line. So he wants to know Timothy. All he's going to encourage him, don't be ashamed. Hey, Timothy, when you do know your calling, all right, and fulfill your calling, there's going to be difficulty. It's not going to be smooth sailing. Just know that. We'll see here later in 2 Timothy, he's going to say that all who choose to live godly lives will be persecuted. I remember studying that passage with a friend one time, and he asked this question, hmm, I wonder why we, don't, we aren't persecuted more often. Well, the answer was clear. Maybe because we're not living godly lives. That's what he was getting to. Maybe not, but so he was just letting him know, hey, this is part, I, I'm suffering for this. Well, how do we know he's suffering? Well, um, we know from verse 16, he says he's in chains. Later on in chapter 4, verse 6, where he's talking about his impending death. He's suffering for the gospel. And, and this word suffers in the present tense, meaning it's an ongoing reality for Paul. So, Timothy, I understand about suffering. I understand about being discouraged. I've been there. I am there. Paul's not asking Timothy to do something he wouldn't do himself. He's not saying, hey, don't be ashamed, but I'm ashamed. No, he's saying, I, I get it. I know where you're at. I, I, I understand. It's difficult. Now, notice what Paul says in, in verse 12 there. It the, um, says, for also suffer these things. And he says, but I am not ashamed. But I am not ashamed. Paul knew his calling, which enabled him to willingly suffer and not be ashamed of the gospel. His, his calling brought confidence and courage. I want us to see this morning. When you know your calling, when you really know your calling, it brings confidence and courage. Paul was saying to Timothy, I know my calling. I've been called by God, the one who did everything to secure my salvation, to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of his gospel, and this gives me confidence and courage 
to not be ashamed of the gospel because God's called me to this. He's appointed me to this. Timothy, you know your calling too. You know your calling is one who does proclaim the gospel, who teaches it and helps strengthen churches. Let this give you confidence and courage. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You know your calling, Timothy. And when someone knows their clear calling, they will be confident and have courage. When you know your role in team, you play with so much more confidence, I'm telling you. In, in, in my football career, ever since I was little, to the, when I stopped playing when I was, what was I, 23 years old, I guess, um, uh, each team I went to, I had to start a little league, and then I went to you know, junior league, and then I was in high school, and then college, and, the, and a short, I got a cup of coffee and a dime playing the pros for 15 weeks. Um, so, but each one of those stops, each day I grew in confidence. Each year I grew in confidence. I remember from my freshman and sophomore college year especially, it was huge. I mean, I was like, I didn't know anything. I thought I knew everything about football. I got to college. I was like, is this, am I still playing the same game? And I had no confidence. But my, my good friend Sean Hills likes to say, I was willing to try and, pre- and I was willing to prepare. And because I was willing to try and willing to prepare, and I began to know it better. And by knowing it better, I gained confidence. And also, when I took the field, by the time I was a junior, come on. But that was, that was built, it took time to build that confidence. I knew, I knew my call, and I knew my role on the team, and I knew what I was supposed to do, and when I knew it, it built confidence in me. And that's what, that, that's what, that's what should happen to all of us. Paul's saying, have confidence in your calling by God. Paul says, I know my calling, and he encourages Timothy and us to learn our calling, to lean on our calling. Do you know your calling? Do you know your calling? Well, th- there's a general calling for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And and that general calling may be fleshed out in a different way because of our gifting and our personality and where God has placed us. But the general calling is the same for all. And you've probably heard this, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is your calling. This is my calling. We're called to be disciple makers who make disciples. We're called to take the gospel to, to our world, maybe our, just our sphere of influence, to, and, then, and a little further than that, and a little further than that, into the whole world. We're called to make disciples, take the gospel with them, teach them everything that Jesus commanded. That's all of our call. And, and let your, your calling give you the confidence and the courage to not be ashamed of the gospel. We'll come back to that in, in, in just a few minutes. But Paul's first reason then is to, to not be ashamed is I know my calling. Look at the remainder of verse 12, um, and specifically that phrase, but I am not ashamed again. It, it's also, it's in the present tense, it indicated that Paul, had, it was an ongoing reality with Paul. I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed. No matter what comes my way, I am not ashamed. So Paul is now going to present his second reason to, be, to not be ashamed. Listen to this, I know him. That's the second reason, not to be ashamed. I know him. Paul is going to lay out how knowing him gives him confidence and courage to not be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, knowing him is what supports and undergirds the first reason not to be ashamed, his calling. So who is the him in the I know him? Who's the him? Well, look with me again at verse 12, at these phrases and words, for I know whom... And then notice it says, he and him. 
Knowing the Lord was the key to everything, he is all Paul needed to be convinced and sure of anything. Knowing him, the Lord. Consider the fact, listen very closely, this is pretty cool. I wish I had my paper. I think I've told you before, I, I print off the passage I'm studying or te- going to teach on, and, and I actually print off the whole first chapter this time, verses 1 through 18, and I mark it all up, and I put notes on it, and highlight, and put lines through it to connect words and stuff like that. Now listen to what I discovered. I discovered in chapter 1, God is specifically mentioned by name 17 times. Verse 1, Jesus Christ, God Christ Jesus. Verse 2, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, God. Verse 6, God. Verse 7, God. Verse 8, Lord God. Verse 9, Christ Jesus. Verse 10, Christ Jesus. Verse 13, Christ Jesus. Verse 14, Holy Spirit. Verse 16, Lord. Verse 18, Lord and Lord. God is clearly referred to also by pronouns at least four times in this passage. Verse 9, his. Verse 12, which we're looking at, whom, he, him. Therefore, God is mentioned specifically by name or clearly alluded to 29, 21 times in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. There's only 18 verses. 21 times God is specifically mentioned or alluded to by pronouns. 21 times in 18 verses. This, this specific knowledge Paul has that rescues him from shame is not merely based on some static information, but on a relationship with the God who's mentioned over and 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 over. Somebody count 21? 21 times in chapter 1. You think he's trying to get something across? I know him. I know him. And there's a relationship. It's not just head knowledge. I shared this last week a couple of different times. I think I shared it with our men's Bible study. I was a big Steeler, I'm still a big Steelers fan, not a whole lot to be a fan on Pittsburgh Steeler fan right now. Um, but back in the 70s and early 80s, they'd kick all your team's tail, wouldn't they? They won four Super Bowls like this. They were like the, the, the New England Patriots of the late 70s and 80s. And I knew I, I, Franco Harris running back was my favorite. All right? And I had, his, I had his football card. Man, I had his book. Front of it, and I knew the bat, how many yards he rushed for as a rookie, how many touchdowns. I knew about the immaculate reception. Some of y'all know about that. I knew all these facts about Franco Harris. But did I know Franco Harris? Nope, never met him in my life. I didn't know him. And Paul's saying, I know him. Not just a bunch of facts. Now, I know facts about God, he's saying, but I know him. And that's giving him confidence not to be ashamed. As one, and and this, this understanding of know again, as one man put it, it's, it's not information it's not about informational, it's relational. This know him, I really know him. And who is this God that Paul knows? He's the same God we saw last week in verse 9 who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That's the God he knows. He knows him. Now notice what Paul says, what he does with the words, I have believed. It means a complete trust in the Lord. And this is in the present tense, meaning it's an ongoing. He just keeps believing. It's, it, it, I'm sorry, it's not a present tense. It's a past action, sorry, that leads to keep believing. So a, a perfect tense, listen to this, it's a past action, completed action. He has believed, all right, with a resulting state of being, all right? It's a perfect tense, which means past action, completed action. It's not gonna, the belief is not going to change. It's not going to get stronger or lower. He said, I have believed, all right? And it results in a certain state of being. You continue to believe. This is what Paul's saying. I have believed. 
Um, and then, and, and his belief will never run out in, his, in, in God's provision of Jesus as a Savior. Now notice that next phrase, I am convinced. It believe, it's just another way to say I believe, and it's a stronger way. I believe without any kind of doubt inwardly. I'm convinced. I'm convicted in a sense of this. I, this, this is a true conviction of mine. That's why I say I'm convinced. Stresses it, and again, it stresses a, a, a heart belief, not just believing something intellectually. All right? Make no mistake. So just please hear this. Make no mistake. The emphasis here is not on Paul's belief. That's not the emphasis. Instead, it's on the object of his belief. Say it again. The emphasis in this passage is not on Paul's belief. Instead, it's on the object of his belief. It's the greatness of God that gives him confidence and assurance, not the greatness of his faith. Isn't that good news? Anybody, raise your hand, i got the greatest faith in the world. I never doubt, I never waver, I never at all. We, we all do some. We all do. If it's based on the strength of our faith, listen to this, we're all in trouble. When Gideon went to, went to battle with the Midianites, 125,000, all right, and they whittled him down to 300, all right, when he went, it wasn't because of his faith they won, because he had a terrible faith. He kept going, well, God, you told me to do this, but I'm going to lay out my fleece, and if you make it wet one time, and the next day make it dry the next time. That's not showing your faith. That's showing a lack of faith in what God already told him 20 verses earlier. He should have just got up and went when God told him to do it. Hey, if it's based on our faith, we're in trouble. It's based on the object of our faith. It's him. It's him. We don't want to miss that. Well, Paul was reminding Timothy that he too knew God. And to allow the intimate, this intimate relationship to know God and knowing his heart be the driving force to give him confidence and courage to not be ashamed of the gospel. That's what he was trying to do. Consider with me some of the attributes of this God of, of which Paul says he knows. I know him. I know him who is holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's sovereign. He's eternal. Here's a word. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He's omniscient. He knows all. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He, he's all-powerful. He's love. He's truth. He's mercy. He's grace. I know him. Do you know him? I know him. That's what he's saying. I know him. The more we know God and his character, the more we trust him and the more confidence and courage we have not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul shows the confidence he has in God whom he knows with the next part of verse 12. Look what he says. He is able. He's able. It's, it's a power and ability to accomplish. God is all-powerful. Remember this? He is able. This God he's talking about, he is able. And what he's able to do, says, Look what it says, to guard. It means protect. It's a military term. And, and, and what will the holy, righteous, just, sovereign, eternal, immutable, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, loving, truthful, merciful, gracious God guard? What will he guard? Look what it says. What I have entrusted to him. It's a word deposited. What I've deposited with him. It, it, it's this understanding of a, a property entrusted to another. You, he, it's used of money, people, things, including wills. Um, one writer in defining this says this, the typical picture is the, uh, is the word is that a, of this word is of a man going up on a journey and depositing with and entrusting to a friend his most precious possessions. The emphasis on the goodness and faithfulness of the one whom, whom the deposit is made. He says, look, he says, that I'm able, he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. 
I've entrusted him. Well, what's he entrusting? Is it Paul entrusting God with something, or is it God entrusting Paul with something? And different translations actually make an emphasis on, on what, what, like the NASB, the NIV, King James. It's, it's, God in, it's Paul entrusting God with something. And then the ESV and the CSB and a couple other translations is God entrusting Paul with something. So which is it? Here's the answer, yes. It's God entrusting Paul with something, and it's Paul entrusting God with something. What, what was initially God's deposit with us has now become our deposit with God. And what is it that God entrusted to Paul and now Paul is entrusting to God? Consider the fact that the gospel is either directly or indirectly referred to in every verse since verse 8 up to this point. The gospel is referred to. The word guard, all right, is used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, 14, which we'll see, chapter 1, verse 14, which we'll see here soon. And they're clearly talking about the gospel. And Paul was entrusted with the gospel, it says, in, in 1 Timothy. And, and, and so was Timothy. And he was entrusted to, we'll see in, in chapter 2, to other faithful men. So what Paul was entrusting God with could also include Paul's life. He was entrusting him with the gospel, but he's also probably entrusting with his whole life. Entrusting his life to God to preserve him to continue to share the message of the gospel in spite of suffering. And this would encourage Timothy that although he would suffer, God would still use his life to spread the gospel. God had entrusted Paul with the gospel, and Paul had entrusted or deposited that back to God to keep it safe and to continue to use others like Timothy to take the gospel to the world. And how long had Paul entrusted God with his life, his mission, and the gospel? Until that day. Until that day. That's how long he entrusted. He was entrusted God until that day. What day is he talking about? Well, I think the context tells us. In verse 12, um, he says, until that day, all right? Um, in verse uh, 18 of this same, path, same chapter, it says, the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, it says this, the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Same phrase, exact same phrase. So it seems that that day is referring to the judgment seat of Christ when those who are in Christ will be rewarded for all the things they've done in faith. So I've entrusted to him, I've entrusted my life and the gospel to him until that day when I stand before Jesus and I'm rewarded, it says the crown of righteousness on that day. I believe that's the day he's talking about. You see, Paul knew him. The God mentioned 21 times in 18 verses. And knowing him made all the difference. It gave Paul confidence and courage not to be ashamed and to walk in his calling. He knew that God would never let him down. He knew that God would never fail him. And Timothy could be thinking, maybe when, when Paul's writing this, and he's reading this, before he reads this, something like, well, what happened if Paul dies? Or other people who are taking the gospel? What would happen? What happened? How about me? What if I die? Will the gospel go forth? And I think Paul's response is this. Timothy, have no fear. It may appear that my current circumstances threaten the spreading of the gospel, but don't be ashamed. Appearances can be deceiving. The one true sovereign God will make sure the gospel continues to go forth. Don't miss out on being a part of this incredible work God is doing and will do to accomplish his eternal and sovereign plan to rescue from sin a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. 
don't miss out, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Timothy, you, you know him. You know him. And he will see to it that you fulfill your calling and take his gospel he has called you to do. You, you can trust him, Timothy. You can entrust. You can make your deposit with him. Or are you here this morning? Maybe you're struggling. Are, are times sometimes that you're ashamed of the gospel or fearful of what others might think if you share with them? Or are you ashamed of what others might think when you stand up for the exclusivity of the gospel in our pluralistic society? See, Jesus made it really clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's always been that way. Are we ashamed to share that? Are we ashamed to share that message? Because it's not popular in our world, is it? Who do you think you are? I don't know. I'm just, Jesus said it. If you've got a problem, it's taken up with Jesus, right? Jesus said that. There's no other name given under heaven, which men might be saved from acts. I don't, that's, that's God's deal, not, not mine. But are we ashamed? Maybe we are. If you struggle with sometimes being ashamed, like Timothy, then know that he is able to guard what you have entrusted to him until that day. Nothing can thwart God's plan. There is no plan B, and I'm so thankful there's not. Well, how can we respond to God's word this morning? I want to just ask this question. Do you know him? Paul said one of the reasons that he was confident, he had confidence and courage and not be ashamed, and was encouraged to Timothy to do the same thing, is he says, I know him. I, I know him. Do you know him? Do you know him this morning? If you do, then let him give you the confidence and courage not to be ashamed of the gospel and to fulfill his calling for you to take the gospel to everyone around you. If you don't know him, then let me remind you of his good news, that the God of all the universes, the creator of everything, this amazing, awesome, holy God made us. And from the very beginning, all human beings have rejected his way, just like Adam and Eve did. And all of us have since then. And, and, and we, we, we don't make much of God. We make much of ourselves, which is called sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He calls us to make much of him. We make much of ourselves. We sin and we're separated from him. I drew this the other day for somebody I was talking with about this, this illustration. Sometimes you use a bridge illustration. Okay, here's God and here's us. And what do we got to do to bridge that gap? Well, that's not true. Here's us and here's God. And there's this big gap. Because God didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. And there's a big difference. Because if we're good, maybe we can get over here. But if we're dead, there's no way. He came to make dead men alive. And the, and the only way, all right, we're separated from We deserve his justice. We deserve our punishment for our sins. And the only way to bridge that gap is for him to sin, come as, as, a, as a person, God in human flesh, in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and died a death we deserved. And he was buried, and he rose again three days later to conquer sin and death for us. And the Bible says if we would trust in what he did on our behalf, then we'd be made right with God. He makes us alive together with him. By grace you have been saved, it says. If you don't know that, my, my prayer this morning, if you don't know him, is that you would turn from trusting in yourself, and you would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his provision for your sin, and know him. Well, my hope is that the truth of God's word this morning will give you that same confidence and courage 
as a man in Africa had in 1980 and was forced to renounce Christ or face certain death. And the night before he was killed for refusing to renounce Christ, listen to what he wrote. Maybe you've heard this before. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finishing, f- finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right. First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his, his presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of enemy, pander the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, prayed up, uh, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. May knowing the one true God grant us confidence and courage to be unashamed. Well, after we dismiss here, after we pray, there's going to be people down front on both sides. If you need to talk with someone uh, about knowing him, if you need somebody to pray with you, They'll be here for that. Um, Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word and the clarity of it. Lord, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, for making our calling clear to be disciple makers, to take the gospel to the world. And Lord, I pray we would find confidence and courage knowing you. Knowing you. Lord, use us this week to accomplish your purposes by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand with me, I want to close um, with this prayer kind of over you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We've just been studying this in our men's Bible study and just thought it was appropriate to pray this for all of us this morning. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. You're dismissed.